Happy Sunday, HMCC family and friends. We're studying 1 Timothy in our sermon series, God's Household. Today's sermon is called Live Out Your Identity from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. My wife just recently did this training called Discovering Your Core Values, and she spent some time sharing with me what she learned after each session, and I thought it was really, really good stuff. And this is what I gathered to be the big picture of this training. You know, oftentimes we function without really thinking about who we are, the core parts of our identities and values. And so, for example, we will introduce ourselves to people who don't know us by telling them our jobs, which doesn't really say, it tells, us, tells them what we do, but not who we necessarily are. Whenever we have to make decisions about what we will invest our time and energy into, it's mostly based on other motivations, like how we want others to see us, that we don't want to disappoint them, or we don't want to feel guilty towards them, and, or how urgent the matter is, and not necessarily how important it is. But when we understand our identities and values, we can more clearly know what to say yes to and what to say no to. So we have to know who we are, and that will determine how we live. And this is essentially what the Apostle Paul was doing when he wrote this personal charge to Timothy in today's passage of Scripture. He called Timothy man of God, and then proceeded to exhort him in how he was supposed to live. This is what God wants to speak to us about as well in today's sermon from 1 Timothy 6, 11-16. So far in this letter, the Apostle Paul has finished addressing some specific conflicts in the church of Ephesus and then dealt with false teachers who used their so-called ministry as a means of getting rich. And we are now in the concluding section of this entire book of 1 Timothy as Paul gets personal in his instructions to his beloved disciple, Timothy. This is God's word. 1 Timothy 6, 11-16 But as for you, O man of God, flee from these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you make the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time who is the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. Amen. Here's the one thing from 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 16. This is the main message for us to take to heart today. Let's live out our identities as men and women of God. This sermon will have three main points that describe our identities as men and women of God. So God's men and women, first, Fight the good fight of faith. Second, uphold the commandment. And third, become all about Jesus. Let's pray and ask for God's gracious anointing as we immerse ourselves in the Word today. Heavenly Father, 
we face such great temptations to turn our gaze away from you and to wander away from your rule and reign in our lives. But today, may you ingrain deeply in us who Christ is in all of his glory and therefore who we are in Christ. Be merciful and gracious to us in this moment, we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's live out our identities as men and women of God. And here's the first point regarding our identities as men and women of God. God's men and women fight the good fight of faith. In verses 11 and 12, Paul charged Timothy to fight the good fight of faith and to take hold of eternal life. God's men and women fight the good fight of faith. Why? We'll see here, it is because they value the character that reflects Christ's character. I want to actually first focus on how Paul addressed Timothy here in verse 11. He called Timothy, O man of God. This seems to anchor everything else that Paul charged Timothy in the rest of this passage of Scripture. He didn't write it because he wanted to fill in space or because he didn't know what else to say. This is significant. Timothy was lots of things to Paul. He was his true child of faith. He he was the one whom he had discipled uh, to be Christ's disciple and trained as a partner in ministry. Paul regarded Timothy as trustworthy and able to pastor the church in Ephesus through the threat of false teachers. He continually exhorted Timothy to be a faithful servant of Christ Jesus as he took care of his responsibilities in the church. But to be referred to as a man of God, this was reserved for previously for prophets in the Old Testament, like Moses in Deuteronomy 33.1 and Samuel in 1 Samuel 9.6. And so it's significant that Timothy, who was a very normal dude for the most part, um, I see this as a very important shift here, that very normal men and women like you and me can actually be men and women of God. It's also significant for us to understand that if we are truly Christians, we are men and women of God because we belong to God and have been reconciled to God in Christ. This is the true mystery of godliness. This identity informs us of who we are in Christ and also gives us vision about who God wants us to become in our maturing growth, and ways that we will serve and glorify Him in our lives. So go ahead and say to someone right now, you are a man or you are a woman of God. This is your God-given identity and vision. So if you're live with someone, tell them. If you're alone, then message someone right now. You are a man or a woman of God. Go ahead and do it. Now let's go into exactly what this means. In verse 11, Paul wrote a stark contrast between fleeing and pursuing. First he said, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. The key here is the transitional word, but. The but is there because it links to the previous section of the letter, of this letter, when he addressed the false teachers who taught a different doctrine and craved controversies and quarrels, thinking that this, so, what, this kind of so-called godliness was actually a way for them to get financial gain. 
They, their love for money led them astray, to stray from the faith and, and towards a path, on a path towards a, of pain and destruction. So Paul said, but as for you, as a man of God, Timothy, flee from this love of money and other cravings of the flesh. Second, he said, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. It's hard to flee away from something without pursuing something more compelling. Timothy was charged to pursue. That is, he was charged to chase after something with, with intense effort and definite purpose. These, he was to, to pursue those character traits that, embodied Jesus, that, was, that were embodied in Jesus. He was to pursue greater faith in Christ through life's ups and downs. He was to pursue greater godliness or synchronizing of his faith with his actions and decisions and attitudes and relationships. He was to pursue righteousness by living in obedience to God. He was to pursue greater love for God and therefore a greater love for people. He was to pursue greater gentleness in his relationships with others. He was to pursue greater steadfastness, to follow through and endure in all of these pursuits. To help each other become the men and women of God that he wants us to be, we need to sharpen the way that we do accountability. Oftentimes, accountability partners just confess their sins to one another, which is great, which is a great things, thing in terms of fleeing those cravings of our sinful flesh. But accountability is only half of the work of discipling one another. You see, the other half is to help, inspire, encourage, cheer on, coach, walk alongside, and partner together with in, in pursuing Christ and pursuing His character. So I want to ask you, how can you, how, how can we help each other live righteously in obedience to God? How do we synchronize our faith with specific areas of our lives? How do we love God and love people more? How do we be gentler with those certain people in our lives? How do we remain steadfast in all of these things in all of these pursuits. You see, God's men and women fight the good fight of faith because they value character that reflects Christ's character. Now also, God's men and women fight the good fight of faith because it is also, they are called to eternal life. Paul summarized this pursuit in another way in verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. These are parallel statements that are connected together. The fight here meant to engage in intense physical struggle against a strong opponent. The imagery invoked was a familiar one in, in, Roman, in the Roman world. It was the athletic contest of wrestling. Now, this wrestling isn't like the WWE scripted for entertainment professional wrestling. This is the classical Greco-Roman type of wrestling. And so, this fleeing sin and pursuing Christ's character would be this kind of fight 
A close contact, physically grueling, back and forth, wrestling match. But it's important to observe here that this fight is a good fight. It's good because it's worth it to flee from our sinful desires. It's good because it's worth it to pursue the things that align to God's heart and character. You know, have you ever thought to yourself, should being a Christian be this hard? Or have you ever wondered, am I supposed to struggle this much as a Christian? And I will tell you right now, the answer is resoundingly yes. It's supposed to be a fight. The Apostle Paul wrote in another one of his letters, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 17, uh, that he said that before encountering Christ, we are enslaved only to our sinful natures. But when we are saved by Jesus, we have the spirit nature inside of us now. And so, the spirit nature and the sinful nature, they will fight against each other within a Christian's heart. So think about it then. Actually, the fight is an indicator that you are actually a genuine believer because a non-believer will not have that fight uh, within him against his sinful nature. The fight is the way of life for those who follow Jesus Christ. Men and women of God, we must engage this fight. Also, Paul said that this fight requires faith because it required Timothy to take hold of the promises of God regarding his salvation, this eternal life that God had called him to believe. The fight began when he made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I think that this refers to when Timothy first publicly professed his faith in, in Christ, presumably at his baptism. This fight is a lifelong fight of faith, as Timothy followed Christ throughout his life until he entered into eternal life in heaven. This would be when he would be freed from, from sin. He would experience his bodily resurrection and enjoy perfect fellowship with God without any hindrance of sin. This calling was a, a significant part of his identity and vision as a man of God. Men and women of God, let's also understand this part of our identities and vision. We are called to fight for faith. Following Christ will have both its highs and its lows. It is not just supposed to be composed of spiritual highs like when, we, like when we're at a retreat. When we face those victories, when we experience those spiritual highs, we can thank God and, and we can use that time, maximize that time to get stronger in the word and in prayer and in relationships with others. So that when we face failures, so that when we face those spiritual lows, we keep fighting by faith. We are assured that we are justified by God's grace alone, that we are being sanctified by God's grace alone, and that we will be ultimately glorified by God's grace alone, entering that eternal life that we are called into in Christ. God's men and women fight 
the good fight of faith because they are called to eternal life. Let's pause here so I can share with you the, this, the first life application from verses 11 and 12. Life application one is this. Develop as a man or woman of God by having the long-term goal of fighting the good fight of faith. What discipleship relationships do you need now to flee from sinful desires and pursue Christ-like character? Remember, in Christ you are a man or woman, or woman of God. Developing this way should be a long-term goal and vision that you are fighting forward for. And with this long-term vision and goal in mind, think about accountability partners, friendships, life group member relationships, spouses, and family members to engage in for the here and now. Those kinds of relationships that will sharpen one another, will encourage one another to flee from those sinful desires and to pursue Christ and His character. So let's live out our identities as men and women of God, people who fight the good fight of faith. Now let's go to the second main point regarding our identities as men and women of God. God's men and women uphold the commandment. In verses 13 and 14, Paul charged Timothy to uphold the commandment until the return of Christ Jesus. You see, God's men and women uphold the commandment. Why? It is because they desire to represent God faithfully in the world. In verses 13 and 14, Paul wrote this imperative very sternly. He said, I charge you, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what in the world, what, what commandment is Paul talking about here? And, uh, you know, a principle of interpret interpreting Scripture is to first look at its surrounding verses and paragraphs. That's the immediate context. And so in verse 2, Paul commanded Timothy Teach and urge these things. And then in verses 11 through, or 3 through 10, he specified that there was this different doctrine that was motivated by pride and cravings for controversies and quarrels and for the love of, by the love of money. And in contrast, Timothy's teaching was supposed to be the biblical gospel and sound doctrine that leads to true godliness. Later in verse 20, Paul commanded Timothy again to guard the deposit that was entrusted to you. Once again, the truth of the biblical gospel and sound doctrine that would lead him and the church to life eternal. He was to teach this faithfully. He was to train the church um, towards godliness in light of the biblical gospel and sound doctrine instead of towards all that other stuff that would stain and bring shame to the reputation of Jesus. He was to model this godliness for the church to follow. In other words, besides just teaching the biblical uh, gospel and sound doctrine, Timothy was to teach them to obey. And so in summary, the commandment is the ministry of the word. It is the ministry of God's word faithfully taught and lived out. And to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach meant that it was to be pure. Nothing added. Nothing taken away. Nothing twisted. It was to be lived out 
with integrity as well, so that God's people would represent God honorably and accurately in the world. Paul wrote about this to the Corinthian church as well. He wrote, he told the church that God reconciled them to himself through Christ Jesus, and then he gave them the ministry of reconciliation. And then he told them this in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors, his representatives. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We share this biblical gospel, this sound doctrine, nothing less, nothing more so to others so that they can be reconciled to God as well. It's not new to say that tragically we Christians often stumble others from knowing the truth about God and His gospel. And what's the solution for this? As God's men and women, we desire to represent God faithfully by living out His word. We talked about this in the area of work just a couple weeks ago. Imagine again what this would look like in our workplaces, in our diligence and excellence, in our integrity and honesty, in our care for others, in our servanthood, in our loyalty towards customers, vendors, employees, and leaders in our peace during stressful times and graciousness during tumultuous times. You see, God's men and women uphold the commandment because they desire to represent God faithfully in the world. Also, God's men and women uphold the commandment. Why? Because it is also because they trust it will lead them to eternal life. They trust that it will lead them to eternal life. Here's the problem. Here's the problem, is that we will inevitably fail. We will inevitably fall short of God's glory when it comes to living out His Word, especially when we do it in our own strength. And so we must look at the two clauses that are the keys to upholding this ministry of the Word. So let's meditate on these two clauses for a minute or two. First, let's meditate on this clause, in the presence of God who gives life to all things. He was to keep this commandment of teaching the biblical gospel and sound doctrine because God himself is the life giver. God spoke and brought forth the life of the universe from nothing in Genesis 1. He still gives life. He still gives life through his words. As Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 says, man does not live on bread alone, but but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Timothy could be inspired and encouraged because as he stuck with the biblical gospel and sound doctrine from the Bible, he could be reassured that God's word would create new life in people who didn't yet know Christ and would also sustain the life of faith within the Christians. Second, let's meditate on this clause, and in the presence of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Paul is alluding to, to Jesus' trial that led to his crucifixion. It was recorded that Jewish religious leaders captured Jesus and put him on trial in, in their religious courts. But 
to have him executed, they had to put Jesus on trial in the civic courts. And so this was why Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, the governor of the Roman province of Judea. It is, it's recorded in Matthew 27, verse 11, that Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, So are you the king of the Jews or not? And Jesus answered, You have said so. Paul was, Pilate was amazed that Jesus did not try to defend himself in light of any of the false charges that the Jewish leaders brought against him. In fact, the mob demanded the execution of Jesus and Pilate handed over Jesus to be crucified. This is what we are meditating on during this Lent season, isn't it? How in the world could Paul call Jesus' confession that I just described good here? It was good because it was the truth. He really was the king promised in the scriptures and chosen by God to die as the substitute sacrifice for his people's sins. God's people, men and women of God, are saved because of this good confession. We make this good confession of our own that, they, that we trust Jesus as Savior. Um, and we surrender our lives to now follow Jesus as our King, just as Timothy did. Remember, Paul mentioned this in verse 12. It's Jesus' good confession that gives new life for all of those who believe that He is the King. So Timothy could be inspired and encouraged because as he stuck with the biblical gospel and sound doctrine of the Bible, he could be reassured that this truth about Jesus as the King who, is, um, who was the new life and who sustains life in the faith of a Christian. This is why the ministry of God's Word is so important to the life of the church. We have to allow the Bible to speak to us as God's Word to us in all of its authority and power. As a pastor or elder of the church, my job is not to merely be entertaining or eloquent. And these are honest temptations for all preachers to feed the craving to be popular or to be respected. But instead, we must faithfully explain the scriptures and connect it to our lives in our preaching and teaching. But it is also the responsibility of the entire church, all of us, to get the scriptures to reverberate in our own hearts and into each other and into the areas of our lives and in our world. I want to challenge us today to study the scriptures with each other, in life group, with your spouse and with your children and among friends. I also want to challenge us to study the Bible with non-Christians so they can study and see for themselves who Jesus truly is. Make the bold move to invite people around you who don't know Jesus to study the scriptures to learn who Jesus is. You know, both will be very, very awkward but you, man of God, woman of God, you have a word ministry. Can you believe that God's word brings life to others and God's word brings life into us? He does. You see, God's men and women uphold the commandment because they trust it will lead them to life. Uh, here's the second life application from verses 13 through 14. 
Life application two, develop as a man or woman of God by having the long-term goal of knowing the biblical gospel and sound doctrine. What regular word ministry do you need to engage in now personally and with others? Remember, in Christ, you are a man or woman of God. The long-term goal and the long-term vision means that you will be able to feed yourself and you will be able to feed others and discern what is truth and not, what is the difference between truth and falsehood in the world around us. With this long-term vision and goal in mind, take it one step at a time. Learn inductive Bible study. Read through the the whole New Testament. Read and discuss the Gospel of Mark with a non-Christian friend or family member. So let's live out our identities as men and women of God, people who uphold the commandment. Now let's move on to the third and final point regarding our identities as men and women of God. In verses 15 through 16, Paul shared uh, that God's men and women become all about Jesus. He shared this grand doxology about the glory of Christ Jesus, the end goal of their faith. You know, God's men and women are all about Jesus Christ. Why? It is because they believe He is returning victoriously. What can help us to fight the good fight of faith without quitting? What can help us uphold the commandment faithfully? Verse 15 starts out by stating that Jesus will display at the proper time His appearing. Jesus will return. Jesus will be glorified in the fullest possible way at that perfect appointed time in history. And when it happens, all the fighting, all the persevering that Timothy did will be shown to be worth it. The hope that we have is that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. And let, let's slow it down and look at the way that Jesus is described in these verses. Jesus is the blessed and only sovereign. Now this is an interesting combination of terms. Blessed simply means to be happy. The only sovereign means that Jesus is the one and only ruler and authority in the universe. He exists and He rules in eternal happiness. Nothing happens that is contrary to His will, even what seems bad at the moment. Just think about all the events surrounding Jesus' crucifixion. He was betrayed by one of His inner circle of disciples. He was arrested, falsely accused, unfairly sentenced. He was mocked and beaten by Roman soldiers and strangers alike. He was condemned to die on the cross. He was accursed by His own people. But even in this that looked so bad in the moment, Jesus was actually executing his plan of salvation. And he was blessed through it. No other scene like the cross displays how Jesus is the blessed and only sovereign. Jesus is also the King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, there were kings in the Old Testament days and actually throughout all of history that claimed to be supreme. But the one certainty for all of them is that they would inevitably be succeeded, replaced, conquered, assassinated, or at least die of natural causes. Revelation 19 verses 11 through 16 says that in the end of all time, Jesus will return with many titles. The title of faithful and true because he would judge fairly and wage a righteous war. 
He will be called the Word of God who will lead the mighty host of heaven to release the wrath of God onto the world. He was called the, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. There is no one greater than Jesus. Whatever powers and authorities that rule the world currently will be brought low when Jesus comes back. If we already know what is going to happen, then this should give us tremendous security and confidence through all of life's downturns. Let me explain what I mean. You know, since we live here in Indonesia, my family rarely watches uh, sports matches live. We usually watch them sometime after they happen. For example, a few, a few years ago, we watched Super Bowl 51. Super, the Super Bowl is the championship game for the National Football League in America. We watched it one week after it happened. And so I already knew that the New England Patriots had won that game. They beat the Atlanta Falcons by the score of 34-28. to 28. It was still interesting, it was still fun to watch, but I did not, did not stress out on every play or every time the New England Patriots faltered, faltered because I already knew who won. This is the same with how we look at life as a disciple of this Jesus. We already know that we are on the winning team. Christ is going to return as promised in the scriptures. Therefore, we can endure in fighting the good fight of faith. And we can endure in upholding the commandment. Even when we feel like we are exhausted. Even when we feel like we can keep it up no longer. This is especially needed and felt now in light of this pandemic. I know that we have all been pushed to the limit in our energy and mental health, finances and emotions and our faith. But God's men and women become all about Jesus because they believe He is returning. Also, God's men and women become all about Jesus. It is also because He will be honored and rule forever. It only gets better here. One thing I don't want us to miss out on here is how Paul just breaks out in this doxology, into this hymn of praise about Jesus Christ. He exhorts Timothy to fight the good fight of faith because they value, he, they, they value character that reflects Christ's character and are called to eternal life. He exhorts them to uphold the commandment that is the ministry of God's word because they desire to represent Christ faithfully in the world and trust that this will lead them to life. And then he wants to exhort them to become all about Jesus. And as he wrote this, his heart and his pen just saying out this doxology. So he wrote in verse 16 that Jesus is the one who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Jesus has given this gift of immortality to his people because he is immortal. He existed before and exists forevermore. This is in stark contrast to our lives on earth, as the Apostle James writes, which is like a morning mist that comes and goes quickly. Those who trust in Jesus, in contrast, will live 
with Jesus in eternity. Jesus is not only immortal, but he is also unapproachable light. He's this unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. In the Old Testament, Moses, the man of God, asked God to show him his glory. But the Lord said that no one could see the full glory of his face and live. So he just showed Moses his back. And that was more than enough for Moses to handle, actually. So whenever, actually, Moses met with the Lord in the tent of meeting, which was never his full glory, afterwards Moses' face would shine so brightly that he had to wear a mask so that others could be in Moses' presence. You see, when Jesus returns and brings his people, his men and women of God, to their eternal home, this is how it will be described in Revelation 22, verses 4 and 5. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. You see, there will be no nighttime. The sun will be swallowed up by the all-encompassing light of the Lord God. And His people at this time will see God's face. <clears throat> I think that we really need to, we need to have this, we, we have to really check our hearts and resist in our hearts this uh, tendency to become numb or this tendency to, get cynical about this truth. How do these truths, that he will return victoriously and that he'll be honored and rule forever, how can this stay, become and stay a vivid reality in our hearts? I thought about it, and I, and I thought about what Jesus said to his disciples. Luke 9, 23-24, If anyone would come after me, let him Deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The cost of following Jesus is daily self-denial. Surrender of our own desires, our own wills, carrying our crosses and simply obeying him. I think when we live like this, it cultivates a real dependence. It cultivates a vibrant real relationship with Jesus. In other words, obeying Jesus requires faith and it makes life exciting. It's never, it's never boring. It's never dull. This is not thrill-seeking for thrill-seeking sake. But we know that as we follow Jesus, that uh, we won't get numb, we won't get cynical if we are sitting in the front row of how God is at work in us and how God is at work through us as we obey Him to love our neighbor, to forgive our enemies, to help the, world, to help the poor, and to, to tell the world following Jesus will never be boring. God's men and women become all about Jesus because He will be honored and will rule forever. So before we conclude, I want to share the third life application from verses 15 and 16 specifically. Life application three, develop as a man or woman of God by having the long-term goal of becoming all about Jesus. What specific ways does he want us to take up our crosses daily and follow him? Remember, in Christ you are a man or woman of God. The long-term goal and vision 
means becoming more and more about Jesus because in the end of all time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And with this long-term vision and goal in mind, the straightforward next step is to listen to the Lord and then to take those small or big steps of obedience. So let's live out our identities as men and women of God, people who become all about Jesus. Let's transition now to our live Zoom service to respond to the word and to pray together as a congregation. God bless you.